Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. Pastor Kevin actually called me right before I left this morning and told me something that I thought was really funny. Um, He said, um, you know, you know how I asked you to share whatever God laid on your heart? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, you're actually teaching on the story that I taught on last week. And I was like, really? Isn't that interesting? But the, the amazing thing to me is I'm raising kids right now, and I don't know who is a parent in the house, but I have learned my, parent, my kids do not learn something the first time I tell them. Usually it takes a few repetitions before it starts to sink in. And so I thought, God, you have a sense of humor this morning. I don't know what I'm going to share today that reiterates what Pastor Kevin shared last week. But I just want to ask you guys to open your heart to the Holy Spirit today. Because when God tells me something not once but twice, he has my attention. So I just believe he is calling us to respond in obedience today. To maybe even take a step of faith we thought about last week, but maybe we didn't take He's calling us to take that step today. But if I haven't met you, I'm Rebecca, and like Kevin said, my husband Brandon and I, we have led worship in Conway and Little Rock for years. He was going to be with me this morning, but he's sick, so he couldn't be here. And we have two kids. I have a daughter. Her name's Israel Juliana. That's a mouthful. We call her Iz for short. She's eight years old. She loves life. She loves her mama. She tells me she's going to snuggle me even when I'm old and wrinkly. And right now, I'm going to take it. I don't know if it's actually going to be true. We have a son. His name is Xavier. We call him Zavi. He's three years old. He is full of joy and energy, and he loves trucks, and he's full of energy. And God has taught me through his short little life that he actually makes morning people on purpose, natural early risers. So I think I have a couple of, you know, cute little pics of my fam so you guys can see us. There we are. Yeah, there's the Instagram fun pick moment, right? And now I'm going to give you guys some reality in my world. Yesterday, I don't know what it was like to wake up in your home, but I woke up to a crime scene. I can explain this. My, yes, here it is, my natural early riser. He got up and he helped himself to a bag of gummies and a soda water from the evidence that I found, and then he pushed a chair up to the kitchen counter. He climbed up on our kitchen counter to reach a cabinet that we keep far away from small children where I keep baking supplies. He was headed for the sprinkles, but what he found was my bag of food coloring. So he decided he would paint a picture for me on my kitchen floor that I got to wake up to yesterday morning. I woke up to red hands in my face and I heard his little sweet voice saying, mommy, can you help me wash the cupcake paint off of my hands? I think he undersold it a little bit, don't you? For the last 24 hours, I have found blood red hand prints and footprints all throughout my home. So there's a little personal introduction for me. I wanted you guys to get a snapshot of what my real life is like. And I want to get into the word of God this morning because he is why we are here. I've entitled this message, One Conversation That Changed Everything. I don't know how you got here this morning, why you found yourself in this room. 
But my prayer is that you came to take a closer look at Jesus. His name is the reason we have gathered in this room, and there is no one like him. The longer I walk with him, the more time I spend with him in prayer, in worship, searching out his life in the scriptures, the more I am left in awe and I am challenged by who he is. So I pray that you want to just pull up a close chair right, day, right now today to hear from Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence in this room. I thank you that your spirit is already here. Father, we have gathered in your name today. I thank you for Jesus. Lord God, you deserve all our worship, our honor, and our attention, and we open our hearts to receive from you this morning. Would you speak to us through your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. Something I love about Jesus is he always has a way of accomplishing a lot with a little. Have you noticed this about him? He was teaching his disciples, if you'll just have faith the size of a mustard seed, I will help you move a mountain with it, right? He took one boy's lunch and broke it to feed thousands of people. He didn't even just do this miracle once, he did it twice. And then he took 12 men and gave them a message of salvation that has now gone around the globe. And today I want to talk about what Jesus accomplished in one conversation. It's a really great story for many reasons, but the first thing I want to draw our attention to is that this entire moment was initiated by Jesus. So let's read. John chapter 4, verse 3. He left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Now there are many moments we read where Jesus has a personal encounter with someone because that person sought Jesus out with a question or a need for healing or deliverance. Even one chapter before this moment, Nicodemus, one of the very few Pharisees to have eyes to see Jesus for who he really was, he sought him out at night so he could find out what he could do to have eternal life. But this story is different. It's about a woman who was minding her own business, doing the everyday tasks of life, going to the well to draw water for herself and her household. And she's going at a time intentionally where she might not have to see many people. Kind of like the same reason I go to Kroger at 10.30 p.m. at night by myself, no makeup on, with my house shoes on, hoping I don't see a soul that I know, but it never fails. One of you is always in there, right? You know how it goes. It's like, hey, nice to meet you. So good to see you right now when we both know it's not, right? So I relate with this lady. Here she is hoping to get her water and go slip in and slip out, and there is a stranger sitting at her well. She is completely oblivious to who he is, and even more than that, she's unaware that he is actually there waiting on her. This was not a coincidence. It was a moment designed by God. Jesus was ready to encounter her even when she didn't see him coming. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus wants to encounter you. <clears throat> now turn to your second choice and say, are you ready? 
God encounters, God moments where he shows up and intervenes in our life in a very real way. These are not just reserved for Sunday services. I don't know if you know, but there are 37 miracles on record in the gospels performed by Jesus. That by no means is the full extent of all that he did. In fact, John said, if every one of them were written down, the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Talk about a lot with a little. But of his 37 miracles on record, do you know how many of those miracles took place inside the church, which they called a synagogue, versus how many took place outside the church? Three miracles happened inside the church. 34 miracles happened out and about in homes, in the street, at the gate, passing by, beside the pool. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not diminishing the importance of gathering as a church. In fact, Scripture encourages us to gather all the more so as we see the days growing more evil. In fact, you will see Jesus in his Father's house every Sabbath. He didn't forsake his Father's house even when he didn't agree with how the leaders there were running things. Some of y'all need to hear that again. Jesus did not forsake his Father's house even when he didn't agree with how the leaders there were running things. So I'm not diminishing the need to gather, but what I am trying to do is challenge our Monday through Saturday perspective. Could you and I be missing 90% of the God encounters Jesus has planned for our lives because we only have eyes to see the three powerful moments that are going to happen when we are in this building. I believe Jesus might say the same thing to you and I that he will say to his disciples at the end of the story. Stop waiting for the harvest. Stop waiting for revival and for the miraculous right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Open your eyes. People are ready. Can you see them? God wants to encounter us personally, and he wants us to facilitate God encounters for other people in the everyday in the ordinary, maybe at your kid's game, maybe at the lake, maybe in the middle of a lunch appointment and you didn't see it coming. God wants to meet us where we are. I remember two years ago, I walked into Starbucks and if, can I be honest, can we be family today? Yeah, yeah, okay. Because that's how I roll. So my husband and I just had some words in the car. Okay, and I was like heading into Starbucks and I was just there to grab my coffee and go. I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that. And God drew my attention to a girl that was sitting in Starbucks. And he told me to go introduce myself to her and invite her to woman conference that um, Pastor Kevin mentioned earlier. And, you know, I was having an argument with God in my head at the register. I was like, now, God, it's not a great time. You know, and he reiterated it. He said, just go. So I go, and this girl, she kind of looks like she's in college. I fumble through this awkward introduction. I don't know if you've ever stepped into something God asks you to do, and you feel awkward. That's how I felt at that moment. I introduce myself to her, and I'm like, hey, you know, I'm part of a church down the street. I don't, I don't know if you are aware of us. And, and I start explaining, we're doing something for women. I don't know if you'd want to go. And she stops me in the middle of it and tells me she hasn't really been in church for a, a long time. But she has a roommate that had recently started coming to New Life and was trying to get her to come to woman conference. And the tickets were sold out. 
And I was like, I can take care of it. So the amazing thing is she came, she rededicated her life to Jesus. But the real miracle is what I have watched God do in her life over the last two years. She has planted her roots deep. I've watched her be discipled by our pastors and our leaders. She's interning in our kids ministry. And God has brought so much freedom to her, the person she is now versus where she was at two years ago. It's unbelievable. I got to be part of her baptism last year. And she was a person, her experience in church before this had only been alienating and hurtful. She wasn't a church person. That wasn't her crowd. It wasn't where she felt comfortable, which is exactly the situation of the Samaritan woman. For a lot of reasons, she felt out of place in God's house. So God came to her. Jesus's love is just that good. Has God ever found you in a very unexpected place? I remember when God found me in my college dorm, I'm laying on my bunk bed running from God and his presence moved into that room. I prayed a simple prayer and God changed my life that night. And he has a way of finding the person that you don't think can be found. In Luke, it says the son of man came to seek and save the lost. That means to look for in order to find. Notice what verse four says. It says he had to go through Samaria. But Jesus actually didn't have to go. There was an alternate route. He could go around Samaria. And Jews often took this route to avoid Samaria because of the tension. But it says Jesus had to go. Another place, Jesus says, I only do what I see my father doing, which means his father had him go to this region, to this town, to this very well to cross paths with this lady. He was not there by accident. He was there on assignment. And I want to tell you today, you are not where you are at in life by accident. I don't know what you do Monday through Saturday. I don't know if you're a stay-at-home mom. I don't know if you're a business person. I don't know if you're a student, if you're retired, but you can even lay in a hospital bed on assignment. My twin sister right now is in a second battle with breast cancer. She walks into Cartai most weeks to get chemo, but when she walks in that building, she is there on assignment. She is looking around, asking God to give her eyes to see anyone that he is calling her to cross paths with. She walked up to a lady not too long ago and said, I know this is weird. I just feel like God wants me to pray with you. The lady's getting chemo. She starts crying. She said her husband had died the week before, and here she was getting chemo by herself for the very first time. God wants to give you eyes to see that your ordinary could be an opportunity. So number one, I don't have points today. I have prayers. God, open our eyes to see eternity in the everyday. To see eternity in the everyday. The story goes on. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. I love the disciples. I always relate with them, right? They're like, you want to hang out at this hot well? Cool. We're going to go grab some snacks. The Samaritan woman says to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. It's obvious there is tension between these two groups of people. But I want to give you a little historical context. Can y'all go there with me for just a second? Why is there so much tension? Because a thousand years before this moment, King David ruled over the entire nation of Israel. He passed the throne to his son Solomon, who passed the throne to his son Rehoboam. 
Rehoboam made a very foolish decision early in his reign. And half the kingdom abandoned him, split off from him, and started appointing their own kings. They became known as the Northern Kingdom. The Northern Kingdom's capital was Samaria. The kings they appointed, however, were evil. They introduced and expanded idol worship in the nation of Israel. This is God's people. His first commandment is you shall love the Lord your God only. You shall have no other gods before him. So eventually God brought judgment on his own people. He allowed the Assyrians to come in and overthrow the northern kingdom. They sent many of the Jews into exile and they replaced them with foreigners. By the time of Jesus, a Samaritan was partially Jew racially and partially foreigner, someone outside the nation of Israel. And their worship consisted of mixture as well. They would partly worship the one true God and also worship other gods as well. So Jews looked at Samaritans as polluted, dangerous, dirty. They called them dogs. They thought they had forfeited their inheritance as God's people. They disowned them. They would not worship with them. They would not live in the same towns. The culture of segregation was as real in Jesus' day as it was in our own nation following slavery. When schools, bus rides, drinking fountains were separate by law for black and white Americans. So now you can hear the power in Jesus' simple question, will you give me a drink? He was not demeaning her by asking her for water. He was elevating her by being willing to have the conversation, and he was showing her value by saying, I want to drink water that comes from you. But what happened here was more powerful than Jesus just healing the rejection in her. Have you noticed how Jesus has a way in one statement of breaking through every hurt to get to a heart? The Holy Spirit does this with us as we step into uncomfortable moments for the sake of a soul. Jesus not only starts healing rejection in her, but he's revealing a glimpse of his overall plan to her. That in him alone, all the barriers of humanity would finally cease. Every line that divides one human against the other, it ends at the cross. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death for all of us. The ground is level around the cross. Paul says it this way in Ephesians, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made the two groups one. And he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Do we live in a culture full of hostility today? This verse, it can heal racism. It can heal you, whoever you are divided against. It can heal your marriage. God's purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Isn't it interesting that the hostility of man put Jesus on the cross, but then man's hostility also died there with our Savior. For he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through Jesus. Everybody say, through Jesus. We both have access to the Father by one spirit. The hostility of humanity dies only at the cross of Jesus Christ. Only Jesus. 
How could Zacchaeus want to go back and pay back many times what he stole from people as a tax collector? Can you imagine that moment? That was Jesus. Why would Paul be able to spend the night with somebody he formerly tried to murder? This was Jesus. How can you get on the same page with somebody in your family that is difficult for you? Jesus. How can you serve and pray and encourage people you do not agree with? Jesus. When the woman expected rejection, Jesus surprised her with significance. So number two, God help us. Speak significance and honor to people we don't align with. So Jesus answers the lady. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I wonder how many times God is saying this to us. If you knew who it was that you were talking to right now and all that I can do for you. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you give this living water? I love how many times Jesus is having one conversation and everyone else is having another. Have you noticed this? She says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Another verse says, rivers of living water will flow out of them. And the woman finally says, sir, give me this water so I don't have to keep coming here to draw water. I would love it if Jesus showed up at my house and said, when I give you clean dishes, they will never be dirty again. I would say, give me those dishes, Jesus. That's the moment that's happening right here. Now, I don't know what happens to you when you get thirsty, but in my body, it goes something like this. My mind says, coffee. My body says, water, water. So my heart says, okay, iced coffee. We crave a lot of things to quench our thirst that actually do not replenish our bodies with water. They deplete water. They dehydrate us. What's your drink of choice? You don't have to say it out loud. The irony is many of the things that we drink, they take water away from us. And this is the conversation that the Samaritan woman thinks that she and Jesus are talking about. But there is a thirst that comes from our spirit as well. And this is where Jesus is trying to go in the conversation. It's a thirst that we may not know how to articulate or satisfy, but we feel it all the time. We have thoughts like this. There has to be something more. I just want to feel accepted, understood, valued, seen. Why do I always feel alone? What is the point of this life? Does my life even matter? On and on, our spirits are thirsting for living water. But our souls, our mind, our will, our emotions convince us we're craving something else. A desire Somewhere in scripture, it calls it a desire of the flesh. Other places, it calls it a deceitful desire. Something that's a counterfeit. It tastes good in the moment, but it leaves you more thirsty than when you started. It does not replenish life. It actually takes life from you. In Ephesians, he says it this way. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. What are deceitful desires? Simply, Desires that cannot deliver what they promise. 
something you go to in hopes of receiving something that you actually never receive. When do these desires start? Can you remember when these kind of desires started in you? I'm raising a three-year-old right now, but I remember at one and a half, I started noticing his will. I don't know when that happened for you mamas in the room. But I realized at one and a half, he wanted what he wanted. And I remember if I would take something away from my son at one and a half, at first, he would cry this heart-wrenching cry that would make you search your soul to see had you made the right decision. But then he upgraded to banging his head on the floor. So I was truly concerned for his mental well-being, as you would be as well. I did what any distressed mother does in that situation. I Googled toddler banging head on floor. And found out it was a thing, okay, that toddlers do when they have this frustration, but they don't yet have the words to express themselves. Well, message received. But do you know what? Most often when I took something away from him, it was something that could cause bodily injury or cost his life. But because he wanted it, he couldn't fathom why he couldn't just have it. Oh, hey, buddy, you found the scissors. Cool. And they're open. And you're licking them. But we instinctively, that's a true story, more than once. But we instinctively think my desire equals my good. This is what our culture is shouting at us right now. We have crowned desire in our culture. So we use words that put a pretty bow on it. So everyone will champion us in it. We say phrases like, this is my bliss. This is my identity. This is my passion. This is my dream, my preference, my truth. A bunch of trendy phrases that just mean this is what I want. But what does the Bible say about our desires? If you want to read a straightforward book, go to the book of James. There is not a page in that book you will not feel uncomfortable about. So James lays it out for us. He says, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Culture says pursuing our own desires will give us life. And the Bible says, actually, they cause death. But we in our foolishness think we know better than God what is good for us. Like my one and a half year old thought licking the scissors was a great idea. Life only comes from one source, life himself. And that is Jesus. Sometimes I think our conversations with God go like this, but I want it. And he says, but it will harm you. We say, but I want it. He says, but it will devastate your family. But I want it. It will not help. It will only leave you more broken and confused. But I want it, but it will kill you. But I want it, but it will send your soul to hell. Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, the first thing he must do is deny himself, which means let go of what he wants and follow me. Jesus is saying to the woman at the well, the thirst in you, it's real, but the desires, the water you have chosen, it's not living water. It may taste good in the moment, but that thing has poison in it. You only get life from life. And I'm right here is what Jesus is saying. Number three, father, show us the desires we are drawing from that leave us with greater thirst. And finally, the Holy Spirit opens her eyes. She still doesn't understand everything, but she knows something on the inside of her is resonating. She knows she needs what he has. And for the first time, she asks, sir, can you give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water? So he told her, go call your husband and come back. 
uh-oh, this is where the story gets really good. This is my favorite part of the story, okay? So hang with me. Go call your husband and come back. I like to think about what her mental dialogue was at this moment. Uh, sir, um, we just met, and uh, I don't share my personal business with strangers, right? What does she say? She says, I have no husband, she replied. Does Jesus shy away from the uncomfortable truth of our sin like we do? No. He's like, that's actually true. You've had five husbands. The man you are with now is not your husband, so what you've said is actually true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. I love that moment. You have to laugh because he knows her, the real her. He calls it out. Have you ever felt called out in your life? It is not a comfortable place. I may or may not have been pulled over for a few times for speeding in my past. As a result, I have PTSD whenever a cop gets behind me and I do the thing that is the worst. I start swerving out of nervousness, okay? It's a real problem in my life. Um, a while ago, I was pulling out of the church parking lot and a cop pulls out of the church parking lot and follows me for like a mile, like turn already, okay? I'm like 10 and two, 10 and two, eyes forward. I start, I get so nervous. I start telling my daughter, like, make sure your seatbelt's on, look forward, you know, she's, and she calls me out. She says, mom, why don't you make sure that your car doesn't get woozy like it can sometimes? <laughs> Do you get woozy when you get called out? That's what happens with the woman, but I love a few things are happening all at one time. This is the first person Jesus commissions to go get someone else and bring them to him. The first missionary Jesus commissions to go share the good news about him is this lady who we would disqualify for so many reasons. She has no training. She doesn't have a lot of a religious history or foundation. She has a lifestyle that God doesn't approve of right now. What qualified her for this moment? Her encounter with Jesus. It was her encounter. She wasn't going to be the solution to anyone. She was going to bring them to the solution. That is what qualifies you and I. It is not our past. It is not what we have done. It is not our sin that qualifies or disqualifies. Jesus himself covers us with his forgiveness and qualifies the unqualified. And it is our encounter with him that enables us to go and share the good news. The second thing is Jesus was not condoning her sin. He was ready to deal with it. He said, stop hiding it at home. Bring him to me. I want to lay eyes on both of you. But he made sure she knew he loved her first. This is Jesus who is full of grace and full of truth. And the third thing that happens is when she realizes he knew everything before the conversation and he still chose to offer his life to her, it changed her. Jesus's grace changed her. Number four, Father, help us admit our sin so we can receive your grace. Once she realizes he's a man of God, it triggers her issue with church. Does that sound familiar today? Does anyone have an issue with church today? So she just kind of launches into it. She's like, okay, uh, my people say we're supposed to worship here on this mountain, but you Jews say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. Jesus, which is it? And he's like, woman, you're kind of off course right now, but I'm going to go ahead and give you my father's heart on this. Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the father, neither here nor in Jerusalem. A time is coming and it now has come when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks. She's been, he has been talking to her about her desires, and now he starts talking to her about his father's. He says, God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. 
God's not looking for a building. He's looking for a heart, a humble heart that he can forgive, that he can cleanse, that he can fill with his Holy Spirit so he can have unbroken relationship with you and I. Worship can happen anywhere a heart is searching for him. God doesn't care if it's in a building with 2,000 or in a house with two people. He's looking for a heart. In Chronicles, it says, the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth, looking for those whose hearts completely belong to him so he may strongly support them. Then the woman begins to realize, man, I think he's even greater than a prophet. And what does she say? I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declares to her, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the first time Jesus confirms he is the Messiah to any human. It's to this lady. And when he says to her the words, I am he, they may not sound like a lot to you and I, but God gave himself a name to the Israelites all the way back in Moses' day. Moses was intimidated to go to Pharaoh. And he said, if I go, who do I even tell him has sent me? And God says, tell him I am has sent you. It was a name God gave himself. And when Jesus looks at the lady and says, I am he, she hears it. She's like, could I be talking with God? She cannot handle it any longer. She leaves her old water pot. She forgets the whole reason she was there because she discovered the fountain. And that is what happens in the presence of Jesus Christ. She could not keep him to herself. He was too good. Isn't it amazing that this woman who's avoiding people intentionally at the beginning of the story is now running to grab her entire town? She ran with that little drink of grace and truth. It says, verse 28, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And she doesn't seem ashamed about it. She seems excited to tell them this. She said, could this be the Messiah? And the town came out. Jesus changed worship for her. He revealed his true identity. He commissioned her as the first missionary. Just then the disciples return. I love it. Like they missed this whole amazing moment, right? And they were like surprised. He was talking with a woman, but no one wanted to ask a question. You know, you see that a lot. They're like, you gonna ask? No, not gonna ask. What about you? So no one asks. They don't ask why. And this could be an oversimplification, but I've noticed in my marriage that guys don't ask the question why enough. You know, Brandon, my husband will tell me something and I'll be like, you know, he'll say so-and-so is gonna move and I'll say why. And he'll go, I don't know, I didn't ask. And I'm like, why don't you ask the question, why? There's so much gold in that question. And what would Jesus have said had the disciples just asked why? Oh, I just hung out with this broken, rejected Gentile woman. I invited her in. I gave her eternal life. I've explained my gospel, confirmed my identity. And she's starting a revival in her town right now. No big deal. I see y'all got Chick-fil-A. What happened? The town came out. At her word, the town came out. She just had a conversation and she ran with the goodness of God and said, you've got to come and meet him. And they came. And what happened? 
Verse 42, it says, we no longer believe just because of what you have said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Jesus changed eternity for an entire town from one conversation. Will you stand to your feet with me? Father, let our drink of life in your presence become a river of revival. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy in our lives. And I pray right now that you would open our hearts to respond to you, to what you are doing in this moment. If you are in here and God has placed on your heart that there's, there are desires you've been pursuing and God is ready for you to surrender them, would you lift your hand so I can pray with you? Or if you are in here and you know that God is tugging on your heart, maybe he's dropped names in your mind of people that are on his heart right now because he is longing for you to see them eternally to maybe have a conversation you've been avoiding. Will you also lift your hand so I can pray with you? Yes, Jesus. And maybe you're in here right now. Maybe you're not close with God. Maybe you don't have a relationship with him or you haven't for a long time. And you want to give your life back to Jesus. I'm telling you, it's the best decision you will ever make. Will you lift your hand so I can pray with you? Let's pray. Will you pray this with me out loud, everyone together? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that you went to the cross for us. That your blood cleanses us from our sin. And today we surrender our lives to you. If we have held anything back, Will you reveal it to us? Will you reveal people that are on your heart in our lives right now? In Jesus' name, amen.